So, are you ready for the Word of God? Yes. Are you sure you're ready for the yes. Word of God? Do you understand what, the, what God wants to do through the Word of God in you? Yes. I'm getting less and less yeses <laughs> the further I go. Before I get into the meat of the message, let me, tell, let me share with you Hebrews 4. Before that, I'll pray. Lord, I want to thank you for what you have called us to, the enormity of the destiny that you have spoken over each individual life here. And I pray, Father God, that the impartation of the Holy Spirit behind the word of God preached today would bring a measure of transformation to our lives such as we have never experienced before. We want the more of your Holy Spirit, Lord, and everything that you want to do, Lord, through your word. Thank you, Father. Hebrews 4.12 says this, The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And you could personalize this by saying, the word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of my heart. As much as you may read the word, the Bible tells us through that scripture, the word is reading you. And not just reading you, but discerning you, discerning your thoughts and discerning your intentions. The word, it says in this scripture, actually dissects me. The Holy Spirit comes through the Word of God to slice and dice. <laughs> he slices and dices between soul and spirit. My mind, will, and emotions and my spirit, man, are two separate things. And so the Holy Spirit comes uh, through the Word of God to show us a clear separation so that we could respond more to the spirit than to our mind, will, and emotions. And so I thank you, Father God, that um, you are going to come and you're going to do some slicing and dicing this morning. And I want to just say this without any hints of judgment or, um, or, <laughs> or, let me just put it this way, you are accountable for your response to the word of God. Do you understand that? God's not going to judge you based on your ignorance. God is not going to come and call you out based on something you are completely unaware of. But when you sit under the anointed preaching of the word of God, the spirit of the Lord comes and begins to slice and dice and dissect. And when you have heard and sat under the word of God, you have a responsibility, you have an accountability to respond to what is released. And just as you are accountable for what you sit under, I am accountable for what I ask you to sit under. And in fact, in James 3, 1, it says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers. And you could expand that word teachers to 
um, encompass any aspect of fivefold ministry, whether you're an apostle, a prophet, a pastor, a teacher, or an evangelist, that's encompassed within this scripture. Let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. So just as you are held accountable for what is preached over you, I am accountable for preaching it. And this is something that I take seriously. I don't take it lightly. My, deli- my job is to deliver the word of God in such a way that you repent. Every single time, the only correct response to the word of God is repentance. That doesn't mean you throw yourself on your face going, oh, woe is me for I'm a sinner. No, the metanoia means that you change the way that you think. And the way that you think actually begins to reach into, that transformation begins to reach into your heart. And then that, tra- that transfers over into a change of action so that we walk in the footsteps of Jesus. That's what repentance means in this sense. A change of mind that leads to a change of heart, that leads to a change of direction. And may I uh, dare to say a change of behavior. But it comes out of our response to the Holy Spirit, not because we try to flagellate ourselves into obedience. We say yes, and he goes, I heard your yes, now I'm going to do this in your life. Now, we place a premium on the presence of God in this place. We expect and we regularly see miracles, signs and wonders, genuine prophetic ministry, healing and deliverance. And on top of that, God has called us to a specific task within Liverpool where we are called to war in the spirit for what God wants to do in our city. And all of these things that I've just spoken about are important. But when we dive into an aspect of the book of Ephesians today, I want you to get a fresh revelation of God's higher perspective on all of these things and his higher priority. And I'm going to start kind of at the end of my message and then I'm going to work my way backwards and you'll see what God wants to do today. In Ephesians Chapter 6, verses 10 through 12, we have an extremely uh, well-known set of verses that talk about spiritual warfare. And Paul says to the Ephesian church, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. How many of you have heard this scripture? How many of you have quoted it? How many of you have responded to it? Well, today we're going to respond to one word from this three, these three verses. And that word is the first word in the passage, the word finally. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. After you've done everything else, this is not the first thing that you do, not primarily, but finally, once you have reached a certain point, do this. And then he starts talking about the armour and principalities and powers. 
Now, this is a very powerful scripture, warfare against principalities and powers, but if you miss what precedes it, if you miss what Paul has to say before he comes to this, you miss what Paul teaches must be established in your life. And if you do not establish what precedes it, you're going to run into trouble when you start going up against principalities and powers. And this is not a message for spiritual warriors. This, because you are all in warfare, whether you think you are a spiritual warfare or whether you think you are a spiritual warrior or not, you were born again into a war. You have an enemy who's trying to take you out. And whether you like it or not, you are engaged in a continuous battle against an enemy that wants to destroy you because the enemy does not want an outpouring of the Holy Spirit before Jesus returns again. He knows his time is to our lives to prepare us for this finally. So, uh, you know, I thought long and hard about how I was going to preach this because I realised as I started reading through the book of Ephesians, again, I realised that this could easily turn into a series, but I, I believe there's something specific that God wants to do. So without glossing over the book of Ephesians, I want to summarise a couple of things about what Paul's doing when he writes to the Ephesians and what he's looking for as a response from them. And so if you, were, if you had to encapsulate what the book of Ephesians has to say to us, uh, you can boil it down to three phrases, if you like. Uh, chapters 1 to 3 teach us where we stand, our identity. Chapters 4 to 5 is where we learn how to walk, you know, like a child, right? So... Firstly, before a child can walk, it's somehow got to get to his feet, right? So Ephesians 1 through 3 establish, establishes who we are, teaches us to stand in our identity. And then in chapters 4 to 5, it's teaching us how to go forward, how to walk. And in chapter 6, it's when we go to war. And if you get that out of order, you're going to be in trouble. And none of this is written in a vacuum. It's not just theology. This is not a theological book in the sense that we can interpret it theologically, but it's written by a specific person to a specific group of people at a specific time in a specific place, but its message is eternal, as is all the Word of God. Is that right? So uh, we need the context of who these people that Paul is writing to are. We need to kind of get a little background of where they lived, what they were coming out of and where they were going in their spiritual walk. And so to fully appreciate what Paul is preaching here and what he's writing to this group of Christians, you need to understand a little bit, not a huge amount, but a little bit of the background of Ephesus. And as I prepared to share this with you, I thought, you know what, if Somebody preached about um, this and talked about what was going on in the city of Ephesus at the time that this was written. Everyone would have looks of shock upon their face at the level of depravity of the city. 
But we live in the same depravity as Ephesus did in that time, in our time now, and even worse. And so can I tell you that the eternal value of God's word, this is the beautiful thing about God's word, it does not change to fit culture. It does not fit culture. And if culture does not conform to the word of God, then God's wrath and his judgment eventually come. That's what you see all the way through the Bible. And there will be wrath and judgment at the return of Christ. When was the last time you heard that preached in church apart from here? Let me tell you about Ephesus. It was the most wicked city in Asia at the time of Paul. It was wealthy, but beyond the wealth, they attributed that wealth to the cult of the goddess Diana, or Artemis, as she was also known. And so overlooking the city was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the temple of Diana. Diana was worshipped as a fertility goddess, and so there was temple prostitution and all sorts of witchcraft rituals. And though this temple was so magnificent to look at, the effect of, that all this evil had in those who lived there was vile. The people were infect, infected with a vileness, a de demonic vileness, and even the reputation of the city that hosted one of the seven wonders of the world, its reputation was vile. Even philosophers who came to visit the city couldn't wait until they shook the dust off their feet. They didn't quite understand the reason for it, but they knew that there was something polluted, something foul, something vile about the culture, the spiritual atmosphere of this particular place. And so Paul goes there and he, has, he finds a small group of believers and over the course of time, he turns that city upside down. There was a season in the life of Ephesus where the gospel took hold in revival and the city was transformed. But along the, and along the way, they engaged in spiritual warfare for the city and that played a huge role in what happened. A huge role. You can't, the, uh, the concept of spiritual warfare is one that's kind of lost a bit of traction in the modern Pentecostal church, but the principles out of the word of God remain the same and the call is the same. Principalities and powers and thrones and dominions have to bow to the name of Jesus and we have a part to play in how that comes to pass. But Paul never placed the value of spiritual warfare over personal consecration. Do you get what I'm saying there? He didn't place the value of trying to tear down strongholds and all the rest of it above our personal consecration and our learning to stand in our identity and learning to walk. And when, it's, when we're learning to walk, the enemy starts to throw all this stuff at you and all the way through your life, He's looking for the legal loophole through which he can legally apply some sort of pull on you or he's looking to undermine your identity or he's looking for somewhere to establish a foothold in your life because you open the door and the foothold eventually becomes a stronghold and you are hindered from walking in the fullness of your identity that we are all called to. 
And so Paul begins the book of Ephesians by talking about the incredible inheritance that the Ephesian church has in Christ. Now, I can't give everything in these chapters the full attention it deserves in the course of the next 40 minutes or so. But I can give you a, what I believe to be an accurate summary of what uh, Paul is teaching here. In Ephesians chapters 1 through 3, Paul gives great revelation on identity and our inheritance in Christ. And I just want to pull out a few key words here. See, you are chosen. You are blameless because of the blood of Christ. You are adopted. Those of you who never knew an earthly father, you are just as valued as anybody who had the perfect earthly father. And I don't know anybody who does. But we are adopted into the perfect family of Jesus. In fact, Jesus is our brother as well as our Lord and Savior. That's how much value has been placed upon us. You are accepted. You are accepted in the beloved family of God. God loves you. You are forgiven. Man, if you walked, if you walked in darkness and you have a revelation of the darkness that you walked in, I want to tell you forgiveness is a very precious thing that you hold to your heart. And the forgiveness that we walk in should always be manifested in the forgiveness that we extend to others. Am I speaking to anybody this morning? For those of you who harbour unforgiveness against any living person, you are not walking in the fullness of your identity if you cannot forgive. Every person can make the choice to forgive. Not everybody walks in the feeling of forgiveness, but everybody has the capacity to say with their lips, I forgive that person. You are predestined. God knew you before he formed you in your mother's womb. One of my favorite scriptures, Jeremiah 1.5. Before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. Predestined and sealed. The Holy Spirit has placed a seal upon your life. Let's not go into whether or not that seal can be broken by our choice. These are the things of identity that Paul speaks over us. That's where we stand. All those things that I just spoke out, that's where we stand. And we've spoken a lot about identity at Open Heaven because for the most part, the church doesn't walk in the fullness of our identity. (laughs) If we all walked in the fullness of our identity, it would be very hard to find a sick person associated with our congregation. It would be very hard to find somebody who hadn't been delivered of everything that they needed to be delivered of. But I want to talk this morning primarily about having uh, the fruit in our lives of the revelation of who we are in Christ. Because like like I said before, Ephesians 1 through 3 talks about our identity. And in Ephesians 4 verse 5, Paul teaches us how to walk in that identity. 
And it begins with how God has designed the church to function governmentally so that the saints can be equipped to go from an understanding and revelation of their identity to actually walking out that identity in Christ. I've said many times, what's, well, you know, what's the... Uh, what's the... Uh, the indicator that, uh, that we've been equipped for the work of ministry, well, we can point to signs, wonders, miracles, um, all sorts of inc- incredible supernatural experiences. But the greatest of those has to be how we actually walk out our identity in Christ. It's not what we do, but who we are. And who we are is influenced by how we walk. And then in chapter 6, he begins to deal with how we go to war. But if you haven't learned your identity, and if your walk is not as prescribed by the word of God, you're going to run into difficulty. And so I'm going to go to Ephesians 4, verse uh, 1 through 3. And he says, I therefore... And here's the thing that I've learnt time and time again about the Word of God. Whenever I see the word therefore, I need to know what the therefore is there for, right? Therefore, chapter 4, because he starts launching into how you're going to walk out your identity in Christ. He says, I therefore, and he starts to say something, so you need to understand that he's laid the platform by establishing our identity and now he's going to teach us how to walk. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, he preaches, he's preaching, teaching, writing, however you want to describe it, because I believe this book is a mixture of all three. Um, he's, he's writing this, this letter to the Ephesian church from a prison cell in Rome. And this is a man who has put to death the things of the world to the degree that he can release purity out of revelation, even though his circumstances don't match his identity. Do you get that? How many of us would walk in the purity of revelation that this man had if everything we had in our physical lives was stripped away from us? I am attempting to minister to somebody close to me at the moment who is in danger of having everything stripped away from them. And the key to their deliverance out of that situation is that they recognise that Jesus is more important than the things that they have surrounded themselves with. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavouring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Who's ever heard preaching about unity? Do you believe that unity is important? Yes. Okay, what sort of unity is important? Can I just tell you, because I've heard the phrase used many times, a spirit of unity exists nowhere in the Word of God. A spirit of unity exists nowhere in the Word of God. A spirit of unity, that expression simply means that 
For the sake of unity, I forsake my differences for the common good as I perceive it. A unity of the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, a unity of the Spirit is supernatural and it's what God offers to every gathering of believers. A unity that's birthed in the Holy Spirit. And that's why um, I can look around. uh, This must be one of the most multicultural congregations in all of Australia. If I got people to get up and call out the nation of their background, you, you would have the four corners of the earth all into this building together and the differences in how you've been raised and how your culture is expressed through you and some of the things that are offensive to some cultures and not offensive to, to others. There's all these things that come together and yet when we come into this place out of all these cultural backgrounds, all of that falls away as we come into a culture of the kingdom, a unity birth of the Holy Spirit because we exalt the presence of God in this place and we invite him to come and do what he needs to do. Some of the things he needs to do are not pleasant. Some of the things he needs to do are not comfortable. Some of the things I've had to do as a ministry leader, I never ever thought I'd have to do. Obedience is better than sacrifice, is that right? (laughs) And so then uh, when you move down to verse 11, Paul explains something about what God has put in place to help his people get to where they need to get. And so he says he himself gave some to be apostles some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. So that's fivefold for anybody who's not familiar with that term. Fivefold ministry is apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. <clears throat> now, if we stop at the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, all we're talking about is healing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing lepers, casting out demons, as magnificent as a calling as that is, if we don't apply verse 13 to uh, what we just read in verses 11 and 12, our emphasis becomes uh, skewed. In verse 13, he says, so for the edifying of the body of Christ, Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. God wants a mature body of Christ upon the face of the earth and he has uh, given the fivefold ministry as gifts. So in whatever office of the fivefold ministry you function in, you need this revelation. You are a gift to the body. You are not a gift to your own revelation. You are not a gift to your own idea of how things should be done. You are a gift to the body. And so I wondered how I could, uh, how I could contrast what God wants done with how things actually work in the modern church. See, without the ministry, office and gift of the apostle and prophet, the ecclesia, the church of God, operates at about 60% of capacity. Is that right? If you've got five-fold ministry and two are missing, what have you got? You've got 60%. Now, let's say, for instance, for me, as something of a rev head, right? (laughs) 
<laughs> let's say, for instance, let's rev, rev head, not reverend head. <laughs> I'm talking about the taco hitting the red line. Let's say, for instance, uh, by some incredible set of circumstances, somebody says to me, John, here's 500 grand. I want you to have the latest Lamborghini. Everybody know what a Lamborghini is? Yeah. <laughs> very, very fast Italian sports car. I would have preferred a Ferrari, but a Lamborghini would do, let's say. And so I go to the dealer and I see this beautiful V12 Lamborghini. And it's exactly 500 grand and that's what I've got to spend. And I say to the dealer, Take my money. I want this V12 Lamborghini. And he turns around and says to me, here's the keys, it's yours, but it only runs on seven cylinders. I would be beating that thing down the road in my Honda Accord. Five-fold lead ministry is a Lamborghini. When you take out the apostolic and the prophetic, I would say you have the equivalent of a 1965 Hillman Hunter. I'm trying to think of one of the worst cars ever built. I had one of those and I had a piece of string attached to the accelerator because I had no money. The string came through the dashboard and I would pull on the string so that the car would accelerate. It was the biggest heap of rubbish you ever saw in your life. Now, I'm not saying that the church, the ecclesia of God, is rubbish. What I'm saying is that the beauty and uh, the anointing and the presence of God that, uh, that the church already enjoys, we're only running at 60% if we don't have prophetic vision and apostolic purpose. Our churches, when they operate in God's intended order as the ecclesia, must have prophetic vision and apostolic intent to get where God intends us to go. And it's another thing, it's one thing to have a revelation of what you are called to. Let's say you've got the prophetic vision and you have the apostolic intent, as I believe we have in this place. But we need to walk out the fullness of what that fivefold ministry God has ordained to the church is to lead us into. It's the fullness of the stature of Jesus himself. And so while Paul talks about what the fivefold ministry does to equip the saints for the work of ministry, he says that the, uh, the final measure of where we get to is determined by how we walk out what we, what we are standing in rather than how many demons we've cast out or how many dead people we've raised or, or how, many, how many ways we've operated in the gifts of the Spirit. Why? Because the gifts of the Spirit are gifts. They're given without repentance. I could be leading an ungodly lifestyle and still walk in the gifts of the Spirit because God doesn't take them back. But I'm responsible for my character. And when I have the character of Jesus in its full expression in my life, the gifts are just going to be pouring out all over the place. Is that right? Because if I'm like Jesus, I'm going to do what he did. I'm going to do even greater than he did because that's what he promised me. And yet we don't, so therefore, (laughs) 
Therefore, there must be things that God wants to do in our lives to fully release what he has for us in our identity. A brave prayer, do it, Lord. <laughs> and so, as Paul moves out of this revelation of fivefold, then he talks about what needs to happen for God to achieve what he wants to achieve through the body of Christ. And he begins to identify things that need to go. And this is, let me remind you, this is the word of God. It is eternal. It is unchanging. No matter what culture, no matter even what science tries to tell you about how the way, the, the, how the world works, the higher truth is that God spoke and worlds were formed. And science itself is just an expression of God when it's submitted to him. And boy, when it's not submitted to him, all hell breaks loose. So when Paul talk, starts to talk about the hindrances to this, he really homes in on some hard issues that lead to unacceptable behaviour. And so Paul starts with the futility of the mind, the empty, vacuous approach to life that has infected the minds of those who do not know Christ. Remember, he's writing this to a church of believers that have come out of a culture that is soaked in filth. And so in Ephesians 4.17, this I say, therefore, I think I've a Establish what the therefore is there for. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. You understand this is consecration and sanctification and holiness. Do you understand this? In the futility of their mind, man's thinking is futile in the face of catastrophe. having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. He's talking here about a toxic, filthy culture that poisons the people who embrace it. He is describing the effect of the spiritual atmosphere where God is not honoured and worshipped as he deserves to be worshipped. This is the heart of the idolatrous culture of Ephesus being exposed. And then he challenges us across the rest of chapters 4 and 5 about the following hindrances to our walk. Now I could preach this for the next three months because there's so much wealth in what he says next. But let me just summarize this and boil this down because there's some specific things that God wants to do in response to this word this morning. Who here has ever lied? Those that uh, don't have your hands up, I don't want to be accusing. <laughs> Um, I don't want to interrupt this message too much, but I'm going to have to because this thing's gone again. No, but I've chosen a replacement for this. You're on church council. It's going to cost you two bit of money, okay?
So these hindrances to our walk, lying. Lying is a hindrance to your walk. It's a violation of who you are in, in Jesus. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Now, wrath is bigger than anger. You understand that? You can be under the judgment of God and still be walking upright, but you come under the wrath of God, that's a whole different scenario. And so it is for us in our human expression. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath because if you are walking in wrath towards anybody or wrath, wrath, however you want to pronounce it, uh, you are actually harboring unforgiveness. Do not steal. Be generous. These are things, these are foundational things that Paul is saying to the Ephesians. You know why he's saying it to them? Because all these things are things that they practice as a matter of course. Those of you who come from cultures where this is how you get ahead should recognize how opposite this is to the culture that you used to walk in. Don't lie. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Do not steal. Be generous. Then he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we get a funny idea about what grieves the Holy Spirit, but Paul follows it up by saying, put away bitterness. My goodness, bitterness is so damaging to us on the inside because it poisons the way we perceive other people. And so, um, you know, you can have ministry for the root of bitterness, but here Paul puts the emphasis on us, our personal responsibility, where we say, put away bitterness. Put away wrath. Put away anger. Put away clamor. Put away evil speaking. Put away malice. Have you ever felt malicious towards somebody? Come on, give me a hand wave. I want to see who I'm speaking to this morning. <laughs> and he says, be kind. Be tender-hearted. I want to be tender-hearted toward my wife all the time. Not just some of the time or most of the time or whatever my wife's perception of my level of tenderheartedness is. <laughs> my tenderheartedness is a lot bigger than that, babe, I can tell you that. <laughs> we are to forgive just as God in Christ forgave you. You know, you've given somebody. That's part of it. You know you've forgiven somebody when you can bless them with a pure heart. Walk in love. I preach to you because I love you with the love that God has placed in my heart for you. 
The love that I have for you is not determined by my human preferences about who I get along with. I love all of you and I genuinely want all of you to walk in the fullness of what is being preached here. My human emotions may not match that spiritual love all the time, but that love is what determines what I preach. And then he said something uh, kind of scary because he tells us that fornication, uncleanness and covetousness disqualify us from inheritance in the kingdom of God. Now we could get into the theology, theology about whether we're talking about an eternal inheritance of the kingdom of God, but I can tell you that if you are walking in fornication, uncleanness or covetousness, you are not walking in the inheritance that God has, has ordained for you to walk in now. Is that right? In fact, and it's worth actually reading this out, Ephesians 5 verse 5, for this you know that no fornicator, unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. In fact, he puts it more strongly than I did. I was being a little bit more polite. Do it. I know we, we've got a multi-generational church here. Does anybody not? understand what fornication is just wave your hand at me if you do not understand what fornication is okay now that we understand it we can't walk in fornication we can't uh walk in uncleanness we can't walk in covetousness um and have and walk in the inheritance that, that jesus has for us the covetousness of our culture has infected the church the church to the degree that covetousness is almost held in high esteem how big a building can i have and how many people can i put in it and then he says that you were once darkness now you are light those of you who were here when I preached that message on are you awake yet, will remember this scripture where he talks about awake you who sleep and Christ will give you light. Remember that? And so he says you were once darkness and now you are light and to paraphrase him he says so wake up. Then he goes on to say, don't get drunk. Who here has ever been drunk? I'm talking about alcohol here. Not drunk in the spirit, I hope. It... <laughs> Do not get drunk, but be filled with the spirit. Then he talks, starts talking about marriage. And he speaks to every wife here and says, submit to your husband. Very quiet in here. (laughs) 
But just in case you thought I was trying to get the hubbies off the hook, <laughs> his demand upon us is perhaps greater than, than the humility it takes to submit. <laughs> because he tells husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the ecclesia, the church. And uh, it's part of Ephesians 5.31 where he refers to the biblical standard for marriage, which I believe I will not yet be arrested for expressing. Ephesians 5.31, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. That's marriage. Whatever the culture around us does, in the church, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And for those of you younger people who think you're off the hook, see, he covers quite, quite a few bases here. Children... Obey your parents in the Lord. Now, I could spend a whole message on children, obey your parents in the Lord. There's a couple of ways you can take this. You know, for, for one, that children's, children are called to obey their parents. right? But there's also uh, another aspect of this, that some people who uh, could not possibly obey their natural parents because of the depravity of their lifestyles, Paul mentions in the Lord, Everybody needs to have a parent in the Lord. And as I've been, uh, I, I won't go into all this today, but as I've been working on this book that, that I feel that the Lord has asked me to write called The Mantle of Elijah, I felt the Lord speak to me as one of the key things about what I'm working on is the Lord spoke to me and said, the mantle of Elijah is a fathering mantle. And so... You might be 10 years older than me, but in the Lord, I may be your father. Do you understand that? And the church needs spiritual fathers and mothers who will bring up spiritual uh, children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. So what applies in the natural is just uh, a... a, um, a a shadow of what God wants to happen in the spirit. Just as I'm called to love my wife as Jesus loved the church, so we are called to father the next generation so that they will not just walk in what we walk in but exceed anything, that, that, that our ceiling, whatever we reach in the spirit, becomes their floor because we have so well taught them that they step into something that we've already uh, passed on to them as part of our spiritual inheritance. <clears throat> I've... Uh, I read a lot less social media than I did a little while ago. <laughs> I 
In fact, there's a word of knowledge about uh, something to do with um, that sort of thing a little bit later on as you draw to the end. But one of the arguments I see raised against um, Christianity um, and in fact was used as an excuse for slavery was uh, towards the end of Ephesians 5 where Paul talks about bond servants and their masters and talks about slaves. Now, uh, I'm, I'm not going to give a whole uh, teaching on what Paul was speaking to, but if that has been a problem for you in the past, there is a, um, an incredible apologist named Timothy Keller. Who's, who's heard of Timothy Keller? He pastors Redeemer Church in New York and his explanation of the culture of servants, masters, slaves and freemen in, um, in, the, uh, in what was under Roman dominion and how things were done in culture will actually turn upside down that argument and help you to understand that masters were given um, a huge correction about how they were treating people that were under them in that culture. And if you'd like to, there's a podcast on it that I can point you to if you'd like to um, ask me for that later. And so can you see that, um, you know, I talked about Ephesians 1 through 3 um, as being teaching us to stand. Ephesians 4 through 5, which is what I've just paraphrased or pulled out the kind of nuggets from, addresses how we are to walk and the reason that we start to walk after we've stood is because we are walking into battle. And so finally, we get to the armour of God and spiritual warfare. And so the expectation of Paul placed upon these people in Ephesus and by extension us is that we deal with all honesty with our hearts in all these matters that I've just read out. And for those that we have difficulty with, the grace of God rests upon us and the ministries of inner healing and deliverance and, and, and all the things that, that, that God has entrusted to the church to bring sons and to raise sons up and not orphans, those things come into play. And there is a grace upon us as we walk toward the fullness of identity that we're called to. But you can see as you read through that he is laying a platform for how we are to understand our identity and how we are to walk out that identity before we even think about going, okay, I see this stronghold over this place and I'm pulling it down. And so finally, he comes to the armour of God, Ephesians 6, 10 to 12. Finally, once you dealt with all these things, even while you're dealing with these things, because there is a grace upon you when you are dealing with something and you're not quite free yet. Does everybody understand that? Otherwise, you could only have perfected Christians operating in spiritual warfare. Some people think they are perfected Christians because they walk in spiritual warfare. You're not. You just got the cart before the horse. Oops. Ah, oh, I'm feeling brave today, obviously. <laughs> Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. 
Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. He's saying we are appointed to this. And we will walk in our authority in this if we have the other things that he just spoke about in the right perspective, in the right revelation, and we are responding to those things with the right heart attitude. It's all about attitude. And this is not a legalistic teaching. This is simply saying that when we acknowledge, when we, say, when we confess, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and then cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Who's cleansing us, him or us? He's doing it. What's our job? We confess our sins. Then his faithfulness, his justice comes to play because then he goes, that's my child. You can't do that to my child. They've confessed and repented of this sin and now I'm going to cleanse this unrighteousness from them. And not only are they going to walk in wholeness and humility and love and grace and favour, but they're going to take you down, man. They're going to take you down. You think that's oppressing my child? They're going to take you down because they'll recognise you when they see it in other people. They will have the authority of the kingdom behind them because they themselves have been set free. He whom the Son sets free is free indeed and brings others into freedom. Is that right? The warning to us, and there is a specific warning to us in what I've been preaching this morning, is that when you launch into spiritual warfare, as we are doing at the moment, there is something that God has asked me to do about our city at the moment that's kind of way over what I thought God would ask me to do. And that's good because then I know it's not me, it's him. When you launch into spiritual warfare without a commitment to what Paul teaches in chapters 4 and 5, if you have left any of those doors open, when you begin to launch into spiritual warfare, the enemy will walk straight through one of those doors and begin to undermine what God has appointed you to do. And that makes me accountable. I'm accountable for what I've, been, what I've been preaching this morning and you're accountable for your response. I say that in love and humility. You are accountable to your response to the Word of God because I haven't preached anything of man's wisdom. I've just given you the Word. Is that right? Hallelujah. <laughs> and so uh, we'll get the worship team up in a minute, but... Uh, I want everyone to have an opportunity to respond to some specific things that God was speaking about. Um, honey, I'll get you to come and share your prophetic word about the carpet. Well, I got this word yesterday. So I just felt like maybe there's someone or more than someone you have swept things under the carpet, okay? And uh, this is not something new. It has happened for a long time. And uh, I even saw you jumping on top of the carpet. 
you know, to keep it flat. Because if you hide things under the cupboard, what it happens, it will, it will poke up, right? So you're trying to hide it as best as you can and you're jumping on it to try to keep it flat and so that nobody will see it, all right? But God say, I see it. I see what you have hidden and I want you, I want you to deal with it, to bring it before God. And I believe God was saying the reason why you're not dealing with it is number one, you are scared. You are scared about dealing with it because um, it has been there for a long time. And also, you are, you, you are fearful that it might open a can of worms. Okay? It might lead to other things. And God said that you are so comfortable with it that you just let it be there. But God said, I want you to deal with it. Okay? And then, he reminded me of that verse in the book of Revelations 2, in that church that was not following in the footsteps of God. He said, if you don't repent, I'm going to remove your lampstand. That is serious, okay? So I don't know, I don't really know the fullness of that. Maybe Pastor John can say, can explain, but I just felt God is warning that if you don't deal with it, he's going to remove your lampstand, all right? Well, the lampstand in context of that is ministry, is your ministry. Can I remove your ministry? In fact, that church, I believe, I can't remember which one it was, but the loveless church. Is that the one that uh, forsook their first love? That's the Ephesian church. It's the church at Ephesus. <laughs> Talk about prophetic confirmation out of the most prophetic book in the Bible. <laughs> uh so there's going to be, uh, could be on live stream as well. Um, it's going to be people who need to respond to that. I've got a couple of other ones and then I've got another one that Sandra gave me when I walked in this morning. And uh, so this one, God is speaking to you directly. And he says, I see your belligerence. Do you know what belligerence is? You've got attitude, man. You've got attitude. Don't you talk to me about that, Right? I see your belligerence. I see your resistance when I've clearly called you out of the dark places that you have embraced. Stop running. And uh, I saw someone running away and they were clutching something to their chest as if it was the most precious thing in the world and like it was about to be stolen from them. No, 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 get away. This is mine. Something that... How far do I go with this? Something that God entrusted to you that you have taken so hold of yourself that it no longer has the anointing of God upon it. I told you I was feeling brave this morning. And finally, and here's the grace of God, because this is what I saw. Finally, exhausted, out of breath, with their chest heaving from lack of air, they stopped. They had no strength left. The father gently removed what they had clutched from their grasp and you could see that it had become dull and worthless. But as the father removed it gently, he replaced it with what I could see was a treasure box. And this treasure box was dazzling. 
it was made of pure gold. It was almost like what you would imagine the Ark of the Covenant to look like in its glory. And as he gave it, he said, here, open this. It is made specially for you. And I saw on the person's face a sense of wonder at the grace and love of the Father as he gave them something precious of everlasting value for something that they had made worthless. That's another one that I believe needs to be responded to this morning. I have another one. You know what? There is such an attack on prophetic churches. The attack of the enemy attacks, he attacks the prophetic because the prophetic releases vision for apostolic intent. And so uh, I have a, uh, a dangerous attitude when things, when I see things like this in the spirit because I always double down. Okay, enemy, you want to do this? We're going twice as prophetic. You want to do this? We're going, we're going twice as hard. But we're also walking in Ephesians 4 and 5. So the second prophetic vision I had was I saw someone else preparing a meal. And this meal, you could tell it was like it was being prepared in wilderness and there was like a howling wind and uh, they were having trouble keeping the fire alight and the meal itself was very meagre. There wasn't much to it. And it's like they were preparing it on one of those little camping stoves. You know, that we can only put a little pot on that thing and it'll heat it up. And I got the sense it was like it was their last meal, the last food that they had. And all around them was darkness and they felt cold and alone. But then this light began to appear around them. And their countenance began to light up as the light came and as the light increased, you could see the entire scene around them change. And it changed because they were looking to Jesus. And God dropped the scripture into my spirit from Psalm 34, 5. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. And as the light increased because they were looking at him and not at the darkness around them, they could see that they were actually in a broad meadow and the picture was of rich, abundant life. And as the light grew, you could see a table perfectly laid out with all sorts of food. The entire scene changed around them. Everything around them changed because they chose to look to Jesus. And as they did, the light that emanated from him didn't just light them up. It lit up the whole thing and transformed it. And I heard the Lord say to this person, See what a table I have prepared for you even in the presence of your enemies. See what a table I have prepared for you even in the presence of your enemies. And I heard him say, Psalm 23 is your song of victory in this season.
Lord, I just give you glory for what you are doing. I thank you, Father, for releasing now an impartation upon every person here, an impartation that provokes response from the deepest places of our hearts, the deepest places of our hearts. I thank you, Father God, that doors that people thought were shut and locked are bursting off their hinges because of the power of the light of impartation that's being released from heaven right now. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There are people in our congregation this morning, more than one, who are being conformed to this world by what you give your attention to. Sandra had a specific word about computer games and the addictive nature of computer games. It's like social media. It's people getting paid millions of dollars to keep you looking at that thing instead of the word of God. So they're the words. If you've been sleeping, it's, oh, okay. If you've been sleeping with somebody that you shouldn't have been sleeping with, God wants to deal with it. If you've been sweeping things under the carpet, God wants to deal with it. If you've been resisting what God wants to do with what you have been holding on to so tightly, God's asking you to lay it down or just stop running so he can gently take that thing and give you something beautiful in return. And if you're in that place of not being able to see the goodness of God because you've stopped looking into the face of Jesus in your difficulty, God wants to deliver you today. If you have a problem with games, social media, any of the things that we spoke about a couple of weeks ago, God wants to set you free. So can I have the worship team up this morning? And if there's anybody in the worship team that needs to deal with something before you come up, feel free to do that. It doesn't matter if we don't have a worship team. You guys are just as much a worship team as anybody who gets on that platform. In fact, your response to what is led from that platform is what determines what happens in this place to a great degree. Is that right? If you're in the ministry team and you'd like to help me uh, minister this morning, you're welcome to. If you're in the ministry team, you need to respond to one of these. You're more than welcome to do so. <laughs> Lord, I thank you and praise you for what you're doing this morning.